It's podcasting time. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and this is Dispatches from Japan, a podcast where I tell you stuff about Japan that you probably didn't know, maybe. I mean, I mean, may, maybe it would be more accurate to say that I talk at you about something related to Japan. Um, if you aren't already subscribed, I mean, what are you doing with your life? Go and subscribe right now. I mean, do it already. And, you know, rate and review the show if you've got a minute. I mean, actually, rating the show takes, what, five seconds at most? I mean, seriously, you can click on the five stars in less than a second. You know, I mean, because... Of course you're going to click on five stars because anything else would just be silly. So do it now. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've got a short, I mean, is it short? I don't know. We'll see if it's short. Um, Maybe short, probably not that short because it's me. Uh, Historical episode for y'all today. So let's go back to the mid-17th century. Now, it was still fairly early on in the Tokugawa shogunate. So the Tokugawas, they're, you know, they're the warlords who rule Japan in every way except, you know, officially. They're, you know, the, the figurehead emperor, Gosai, was on the throne. But, you know, he had no power sitting there in Kyoto. All the real power was in Edo, which, you know, is the old name for Tokyo. If you didn't know that, now you do. Um, if you're listening listening to this podcast, you probably have heard that fact. Edo, old name of Tokyo. Anyway, it, moving on. Um, so, yeah, the year we are looking at specifically is 1657. And the shogun Tokugawa Ietsuna... Uh, he was the fourth Tokugawa shogun, and you know he was sitting. In, he was sitting on the. Uh, he wouldn't be sitting on the throne. He was sitting. He was sitting in the power chair, or whatever. Um, and he's he's calling the shots from the castle in Edo, his Edo castle, um, which is now the Imperial Palace in Tokyo. In case you're inter- interested in that sort of stuff, um, so Ietsuna, like I say, he was the fourth. Tokugawa Shogun. So by this point, you know, we're about a half century into the whole Tokugawa de facto rule. Edo is very clearly the center of actual power, though Kyoto, where the emperor lives, is still, you know, it's still a big deal. It's just not, you know, it's it's a big deal for ceremonial reasons. But yeah, like I say, Edo is, it's kind of the place to be in 1657 if you want any real power. And so that is the setting for our story today. Edo, the most important city in Japan at the time. Now on the 18th day of the first month of the new year, because at the time, Japan was on the same calendar as, you know, the traditional Chinese calendar. So, you know, you think Chinese New Year and all that kind of stuff. That's when, you know, Japan still kind of does the traditional New Year, but not not so much. But 
the 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 18th day of the new year so this corresponds to you know the roughly you know the chinese the chinese uh calendar and so yeah the 18th day of the of the new year in 1657 corresponds to march 2nd on the gregorian calendar and at around two o'clock in the afternoon a fire broke out at Honmyoji, a temple just a couple of kilometers north of Edo Castle. Now, I said at Honmyoji, but it would be more accurate to say at or around Honmyoji. Um, you know, it's a bit like the uh, the O'Leary's barn in the Great Chicago Fire, if you know that, what I'm talking about there. You know, it's not actually known where the fire started, but it was in the general vicinity of Hōmyōji at the very least. And it's entirely possible that it started at the temple, um, but it's also possible that it didn't start at the temple. It's just kind of, I mean, it's impossible to say with any certainty. So anyway, so let's Let's talk about the legend of how the fire started. Now, legend has it that it started at the temple, and the story behind it is worth talking about. Now, it also explains one of the common names of this fire, um, because, you know, I, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but this is a major fire we're talking about. Um, it's... The, the, the proper name of this fire is the Great Fire of Meireki. Uh, Meireki no Taika, for those of you studying Japanese. But it is also commonly known as the Furisode Fire. Now, Furisode is a type of woman's kimono. It's one that is traditionally worn only by unmarried women. Now, if you see photos of young women in, you know, high school or university graduation or maybe at their coming of age ceremony, because that's a big deal here in Japan, right? The women, if they're dressed in traditional Japanese uh, kimono, they are wearing a furisode. Now, furisode, they're very easy to spot because they have these long draping sleeves. Um, you know, just do an Im uh, a Google image search and you'll see what I'm talking about, you know, I'll wait, you know, I will wait, you can do it. Um, or, you know, I, you could just pause the podcast and look it up. I mean, that's probably the actual way to do it. But anyway, go on, do it, look it up. Uh, Furisode is F-U-R-I-S-O-D-E, if you want to look it up in English, um, which I'm sure most of you do. But yeah, it's, it's like say, the traditional young women young woman's kimono very fancy very fancy dress so yeah the fancy kimono fire what is that all about well the story goes that a priest at homyoji that the temple i mentioned earlier the, the priest was cremating a kimono wait 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 what what, 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 cremating a kimono? Yeah, that, that, that's right. So what's that about? Well, it's story time. I mean, it already was story time, but it's story in story time. So in sep 
story. I mean, sure, whatever, we'll go with that. Uh, no, actually, we won't, but, you know, whatever. Anywho, let's get into it. So, there was a 17-year-old daughter of a... Um, I, the description I saw, I guess he was a pawnbroker slash merchant kind of guy. So a businessman. Um, and his daughter's name, 17-year-old daughter's name was Umeno. Now, Umeno and her mother, they went to Homyoji to visit the graves of their ancestors. You know, pretty normal thing to do in Japan, even to this day. I mean, you know, you, you do this periodically through the year, you go visit the graves of your ancestors and relatives and whatnot. And so Umino and her mother, they had gone to Homyoji to visit the graves. And on their way out of the temple, Umino walked past a young man going in the opposite direction. And apparently she thought he was extremely attractive and she kind of turned around and watched him from behind and yada, 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 um, or whatever. And her mother said something to her, you know, I guess, you know, she was supposedly in kind of a daze and like, oh my goodness, what a, such a handsome dude or, you know, some, something like that or whatever. And, uh, yeah. So her mother said something and Umino, she was very embarrassed and she stared at the ground, you know, blushing, you know, anyway, whatever, you know, and she, yeah, so she got home and supposedly could think of nothing but this handsome guy she saw at the temple, you know, you know, kind of a little, little side here. Um, this is a ridiculous story. I will say that right now. Uh, but anyway, I am just reporting the story as, you know, it is told. Uh, anywho, so Umeno, this young woman, she is struck by the beauty of this boy, this beautiful boy that, you know, she just, she can't get him out of her head. She can't sleep. She can't eat properly anymore. And so she asks her parents for a kimono with the same print pattern as the young man was wearing the day she saw him. I, again, this is what the story says. I'm just reporting. Anyway, um, the yeah, like I say, this is just okay, kind of ridiculous. But um, yeah, so Umino, her parents, you know, accede to her 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 request, and she gets this furisode. There's this fancy kimono with the pattern the same as the young man's. And she held on to it tightly. Oh, she loved it so much. And, you know, she would hold on to it and she would remember dude, dude man's face. But tragedy struck. Because, of course, it did. Um, so, you know, she got sick and she never recovered. Right? She died and her funeral was at Homyoji, the same temple where she went the day that she saw this young man with the killer good looks, which, you know, literally killer good looks. Um, and her parents put the kimono with the casket before cremation because I guess that was a thing. Um, I Okay, sure, whatever. Uh, but anyway, the, the kimono was not cremated at this point. Just Umeno. Because cremation is the norm, 
you know, in Japan at the time still is today. Cremation is the norm. Um, but the kimono was not cremated. And as was tradition and custom at the time, the temple got to keep a lot of the items that were placed with the deceased before their cremation, right? Things that were put in and on the casket. You know, these items would be, you know, essentially donated to the temples and they they were often sold, apparently. Um, you know, I guess maybe they're raising funds for the temple or something, um, whatever. And apparently that is what they did with this kimono, this furisore kimono, the, the fancy kimono. Um, the kimono was sold to a family with a 16-year-old daughter named Kino. And unfortunately, Kino also fell ill and died. Because of course she did. And the kimono again was placed with her coffin and she was brought to, of course, Homyoji, the same temple. And it just so happened that when they brought Kino and her coffin to the temple, it was the day of the anniversary of Umeno's death, right? The young woman who started this whole story. I mean, sure, this is completely believable. I completely buy this story. No, obviously I don't by the tone of the voice. You can tell me, you can tell that I do not believe this a single iota, but again, this is the story and we're just telling it like it is reported. And anyway, so just as before, the staff at the temple, again, got the kimono and sold it. And this time to a family with another 16-year-old daughter. And this daughter's named Iku. And of course, Iku, she also, say it with me, got sick and died. Because of course. And of course, she was brought in her casket with the kimono to Homyoji for her funeral. Because of course she was. This again, this is the story. And so, after three young women connected to this kimono died, the people of the temple said, you know, that's enough. Clearly, this kimono is cursed. We need to get rid of it. I mean, because, you know, obviously, that, I mean, that, that's a logical... I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest, if you buy the story, which obviously I don't, but if you buy the story, you know, three young women in possession of this kimono all dying, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna think something's up. And the thing that connects them all is the kimono. So sure, it's, it's, it's a fairly logical, you know, conclusion, I suppose. But um, yeah, so, so they have this clearly cursed kimono. And so what do they decide to do? Well, they decide, obviously, they need to get rid of it. It is cursed. And so they decided to cremate the kimono and hold a funeral service for it. Because, like I say, clearly, you know, some pissed off spirit or something was going on. I don't know. Um, And so, yeah, they began performing the rituals 
for the furisode and they lit it on fire to start the cremation. And just as it began, it floated up, seemingly as if there was a person inside of it standing up. And, I mean, here's the real problem. There, It, it was a big gust of wind. Right? It was very windy. And this, this now we're getting kind of, we're kind of transitioning into what really happened. But there was a strong gust of wind. And if if the if we believe the story, the kimono kind of you know something floated up, probably and say it looked like according to the story, it looked like the kimono was standing up, like there was a person inside of it, the spirit I suppose, and the wind blew it, and sparks from the fire fell on the eaves of the temple, and the temple caught on fire, and the strong winds that day spread it around the area. At least that is the myth about how the fire started. Um, and this story apparently was well enough known that um, Lafcadio Hearn, he was a Greek-born, naturalized Japanese citizen uh, in the late 1800s. And he apparently wrote a story about it in one of his books about Japanese legends and ghost stories. Um, you know, honestly, thinking about it, he is probably a good candidate for an episode at some point. Um, so maybe I'll get around to him eventually. I know I have a list of dozens and dozens of things that I would like to talk about someday, but who knows if they'll happen. But Lafcadio Hearn, interesting character. Um, but yeah, he wrote about it in one of his books. And like I say, this is the legendary story about how the fire started. The reality is, of course, nobody really knows what happened. Um, it is certain that it started somewhere in the general area of Homyoji, but um, like said, the temple here, that at, our, at, our, at the center of our story here, there's no way to know for sure if this is what happened. But, you know, whatever the real origin of the fire was, it spread very quickly throughout Edo for a couple of reasons. Now, the first being the very strong winds that I talked about, um, Apparently, the winds that day were more or less the same strength as you would find with a, you know, with a typhoon, with a hurricane. So really, really strong winds. But, keep, and here's a key point, without the rain of a typhoon, just the winds. Because the rain, obviously, would have helped dampen the fire. But, no rain, just wind. And uh, another factor was the fact the city was very dry at this point because the previous year had been a drought year. Um, so everything's very dry. And as was the case in many cities at the time, many, many of the buildings in the city were made of wood and paper because this is Japan. So paper walls, paper doors, screens like that. Uh, so wooden paper. Uh, dry conditions, strong winds, not a good combination if you want to stop a fire. And also, everything was packed very closely together. Narrow roads, no space between houses, just an absolute, you know, perfect, we talk about the, you know, it's a cliche, but the perfect storm uh, for creating a firestorm uh, in, in Edo. And from what I've read, this fire here in Tokyo, in Edo in, in Tokyo, 
has, you know, it had more than a few similarities with the Great Fire of London of 1666. Um, and that, that's just less than a decade from now, right, from our story. So again, very similar time frame to the Great Fire of London and a very similar result. Um, so yeah, like I say, dry, very dry wooden buildings, strong winds, narrow roads, no fire breaks, seems like a recipe for a terrible fire. And it was. So the first day, March 2nd, it saw winds blowing in from the northwest, and the fire quickly spread throughout the city center. Now on the second day, the winds shifted, now with the winds coming from the south. You know, the fire at this point had already reached the city's southernmost edges, but the winds now coming from the south pushed the fire back north towards the city center. Many, many houses and quarters for, you know, the shogun's retainers and the servants, they were burned down even around, like, in the areas right around the the main castle. Um, But... The the main keep, right, the center of the of the the castle where the shogun and his family lived, it was spared from the fire. And finally, on the fourth of March, so this is the third day of the of the of the disaster, the winds finally died down, and so did the fire. But the smoldering ruins filled the air with with smoke and ash for days to come. And it was very difficult to begin the search, rescue, and recovery efforts. Finally, six days after the start of the fire, so that would have been like the 8th, I think, somewhere around the 8th, um, people were finally able to really begin the recovery efforts. The dead were transported to a spot in the Sumida district, Uh, where bodies were buried in pits. Now, I presume this was just a temporary measure. I'm sure that once everything had settled down, the dead were probably all cremated um, because that was, as I mentioned, and still is, the custom in Japan. Cremate the dead. And um, in case you want to visit the site where all the dead were transported after the fire. And there's a memorial to, to all the people that were killed in the fire. Um, if you, if you are ever in Tokyo near the Ryokoku Sumo Stadium, um, there's a temple called Eko In. Uh, it's just a couple blocks South of the Sumo, um, the Sumo Wrestling Stadium. So if you're in that part of Tokyo, you can very easily go down and visit this temple you know, it's, it's a memorial to all the people that died in this great fire. In all, somewhere between 60 and 70% of the city burned in these three days. At least 100,000 people lost their lives. Probably more. But the city rebuilt. Right Over the next two years... Most of the destroyed buildings were replaced, but this time with some more urban planning. Roads were widened to provide more fire breaks, right? Everyone, uh, both nobles, aka the samurai and their retainers, and commoners were given funds to rebuild by the 
by the government, by the, the shogunate. And last on the list to be restored, you know, after all the regular folks were taken care of, was the shogun's castle. You know, which, let's be honest, was a pretty smart PR move. Sure, a lot of the outer castle buildings had been destroyed in the fire, but, you know, you got to remember, the main keep of the castle, you know, the shogun and his family lived there, it was fine, right? I'm sure there were some minor inconveniences for them, but by and large, their life could go on more or less as it had because their home was still there. So, you know, make sure everyone around got money to rebuild. And so, hey, great, cool. Um, you know, like I say, very good PR move. Um, but, you know, it he's just trying to make himself look like the good guy, which, again, I get it. Um, but, eh, okay, whatever. Um, maybe I'm just being cynical, but, you know, anywho. Um, but yeah, 100,000 people lost their lives, which is on par with the number of people who lost their lives in the Great Fire of 1923, I think it is, and also the bombing of Tokyo during World War II. But this is at a time when there was a much smaller population overall. So probably by percentage, this was actually the worst disaster in Tokyo. It, it just, it just in terms of percentage of the population that lost their life. Um, but yeah. Anywho. Yeah, so yeah, the castle, um, including the outer buildings, was eventually restored. You know, uh, more space was left around it around the, the castle, this the inner keep as a fire break. Uh, a bunch of shrines and temples were also moved closer to the banks of rivers. Uh, I presume this would be like kind of a firefighting sort of thing. You know, you, they're closer to a source of water. So if a fire starts or if they're, you know, it's easier to put it out or to protect the temple and the shrines, um, you know, not, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. But um, yeah, that is the story of the uh, Great Fire of Meideki. You know, and I, I, I'm just realizing now that um, I don't think I have mentioned what Meideki means. Uh, Meideki was the reign title at the time. So back in the day, emperors would change the name of their era pretty frequently, right? So now it is one emperor, one reign title, so we had the Showa Emperor, the uh, was it Showa Hei? So be Taisho Showa Hei. I'll give you go back for Meiji is kind of when it started. One Emperor, one title. Meiji Taisho Showa Heisei, and now we're in Reiwa. So these are the reign titles. So if you look at Japanese, uh, uh, the Japanese date, these are the things you will see. But anyway, so yeah, Meideki was the reign title of the time um, back in the day. If there was a bad event, like a natural disaster or the like, the reign title would get changed pretty frequently. So you often have these very short reign title eras, like five years, ten years, very normal to change. Anyway, uh, not super important, but um, so yeah, it was the year Meideki 3 that this fire occurred. And like I say, that is 1657, 
by the Western calendar. So yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's what Meireki means, and that is where I'm going to end it for today. So please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. The podcast is available on pretty much all the major platforms, you know, your Spotify's, your Apple Podcasts, uh, Pandora, uh, Amazon Podcasts, whatever. You can find it, you know, wherever you're listening to it right now, that's probably where you should subscribe to it because you should subscribe to it and rate it and review it. Do it now. Anywho, um, you can follow over on Twitter as well. Um, just another cast on Twitter. Uh, that may change someday in the future. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll not Twitter anymore. Maybe we'll go to, I don't know, something else, some alternative. But for now, that's where it is. And you can email the show at justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com. And that is all for me. I am Jonathan Isaacson, and I am out. Peace. Thank you.